And what we just have to call Thomas Grant's erotica. Thomas Grant's erotica. Course. Thomas Grant's erotica. Expected goals. Thomas Grant's erotica. Dog's model. Thomas Grant's erotica. 8.02 on a Wednesday. Just when you think it couldn't get any more sultry in here. This happens. Oh, yeah. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. That intro music can only mean one thing. It's sultry in here. Also, it's Thomas Drance coming up on the show. Uh, hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find a perfect fit at kintech.net. I love the arguments that we can have on this show. Mm-hmm. Like It's getting like nasty in the inbox now. Over yeah. Canada's like number two sport behind hockey yeah some guys gotta, is like he's like for- it's golf it's golf i'm like it's not golf it's not golf it's not golf it's an opinion-based uh argument so you can't be wrong yet somehow you are yeah it's not golf like on the men's side uh i can think of like five or six countries that produce better golfers than canada on the women's side i was just like u.s and korea like they're well above maybe maybe the listener doesn't fully understand like for example, Shea Gilgis Alexander. He's not just a pretty good basketball player. He was all NBA first team. That means that the people that yeah. watched the league said he is one of the five best players in it this year. Mm-hmm. Granted, it's positional, but still five best. He's Canadian. Was like, Jamal Murray good? He's not even on this team. Jamal Murray yeah. won an NBA championship. <laughs> it was like a it big was, part of it, too. He was like the second best player on his team. Yeah. Granted, he had. The Joker with him, but I digress. I just not. It's not golf. It's basketball, and it's not and it's tennis. Not, certainly not right now. No, it's basketball. It's not even particularly close. I would say. All due respect to you, I don't know who this guy is, but he also came with a freestyle skiing, to which I'll say, sure, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Thomas Drance from the Athletic joins us now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet six fifty. What up, Drancer? I'm reminded of those kids and that like very Jonathan Lipnicki from. Jerry Maguire tone being like, you know, the national sport of Canada is actually lacrosse. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 So Congratulations like, to the New Westminster Salmon Bellies, by the way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, and no, there, there's another one, too. Oh, the Ladner Pioneers. They're currently reckoning it at the Senior <laughs> B Lacrosse National Championship. Coach Newman texted that one in. I don't know if he's Love the coach that. of the team or not. But anyway, we feel I feels like we're getting slightly off topic, which is on brand for the show. But again, focus, focus, focus. Uh, let's focus on Andre Kuzmenko. Would you like to weigh in on the drama, question mark, surrounding his offseason? <laughs> um, all I'll say is it's not a surprise that hockey people would look askance at uh, a summer in Bali. Um, not a surprise to me in the slightest, you know, this is a very conformist sport from, from a cultural perspective. 
and doing something really interesting, like having the world's coolest looking summer, uh, based on his IG story anyway, tends to cause some eyebrows to furrow. I mean, this, you know, this is an organization that didn't love like Bo Horvat and Luke Shen working with Adam Oates. So summering in Bali would, would obviously trigger some concern. Um, I'm rooting for him to just absolutely destroy it because I think NHL players should be doing more fun stuff in the summer in tropical locales for extended periods of time. I think it's great. Uh, so I really hope that the precedent set here is, wow, you can pull that off. Great. Awesome. Love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it would be, I think it'd be good for everybody involved in the game. If Kuzmenko has a great start. Um, so yeah, I'm just, more than anything, I don't, I don't really have a take. I don't think it's like a big deal. You know what I mean? I just think it's, Hey, you didn't, you know, we would have preferred if you were in, you know, West Kelowna <laughs> working out at rink every day. Right. Um, but, uh, but, you know, more than anything, I'm, I'm hoping that this model, that this travel the world and be the world's most interesting person and, you know, audition for Dosecki's Pitchman mm-hmm. summer that, that Kuzmenko has had uh, works out. You, you know what's going to happen, though, Durant. We all know what's going to happen. He's not going to yeah, score. he's going to start slow. Yeah. It's going to be regression. Yes. It's like, oh, wow, he couldn't possibly shoot 29% for the rest of his life. Like, and then people are going to be like, well, it was the summer. And yeah. it's like, no, like, it's unreasonable to expect this guy to continue to score at this pace based on, you know, his underlying profile. But he's still going to be good. Like, that's the thing. Like, regression will hit Kuzmenko. He's still going to be good. He still has improvement, though. Like, there, 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 there's still improvement to be had in his overall game. Two-way game? No yeah. question. Yeah, and I think um, that's going to be another thing that we kind of add to the pile and I, I just think that this um, summer of his, and again, I would like to state for the record that I love that what he's doing too. And I, and I yeah. hope he's successful because there's more to life than hockey. And when yep. you're young and you're able to travel the world and have those experiences, by all means, do it. But at the same time, I know what can happen sometimes, right? And yeah. if yeah. he gets criticized – and maybe from the organization as well. We've seen this organization not be afraid to criticize its own. Um, you know, it, it, there is the potential for his summer to, let's say, muddy the situation. Sure. I mean, you know, I do think when you consider how hockey players tend to spend their summers, right? Like, I'm sure it's not just management and coaches right like i'm sure there's some teammates but one thing i note is you know from everything we've seen of kuzmenko especially in comparison with the photos we saw of his like documented move to vancouver last summer like this guy looks absolutely cut relative to his playing shape last year you know like there is absolutely a world where having had a season of pro hockey in the in north america and understanding the pace of the NHL game, the length of shifts, you know, like the KHL in terms of like shift length and like the the pace at which you have to play, um, you know, it it, it almost looks like hockey 15 years ago or 20 years ago where guys take, you know, these shifts, you're not always necessarily skating at full tilt. You're playing some East West, right? Like it's, it's a different game. And, and I mean, I do still think regardless of where, you know, 
his um, geolocation was set in the summer, like there's also a world where this guy comes in and is in far better shape than he was last year, where he like really struggled during fitness drills at training camp and, you know, was absolutely the guy uh, bent over at the end of drills and stuff. So, I mean, I still think there's a world where his baseline fitness level is a lot higher coming into this season than it was coming into last season. And we all know how that turned out. And we will call it the Bali method. If he's, <laughs> if he's in shape, uh, Drancer, I've been seeing some video floating around of Tanner Pearson skating out at UBC and he looks pretty good. Um, what happens if he's healthy? Do the Canucks have to make a move then? No, no. I mean, so people ignore, in my view, the most obvious solution, right? Which is there's this thought that, you know, in the wake of the Pius Suter signing, the Canucks really need to shed salary with a transaction. And they don't. Like, they don't. They, they can be cap compliant pretty easily with a full 23-man roster, or sorry, not with a full 23-man roster, right. but under the, under the um, uh, salary cap or, like, achieve, you know, that much ballyhooed compliance <laughs> that Connect Management's always touting. <laughs> um, and and it's, pretty, it's pretty straightforward. You, you have to cut $1.02 million in salary off of a one-way guy and roll with a 22-man roster. I mean, that's, that's at least the way I model it, right? The Canucks have so many guys signed at that sort of veteran minimum, usually on most of them are on two-way deals, 775K, um, that, you know, in terms of how you exactly get it done, it's just that one guy doesn't make the team who's got a salary above $1 million, and there's lots of candidates, right? I mean, Niels Hoaglander... Uh, you know, would be would be a standout candidate for me, although I'd be surprised if that's the way it goes. I mean, Tanner Pearson would be the other candidate, right? Like the other most straightforward candidate. You know, just because a guy is healthy and no longer eligible to be on LTIR does not necessarily mean they're going to make the team. Right. And and this is sort of what, what I think people um, ignore here is, you know, with Suter in tow, I do think you've created an environment where, no one should feel particularly, and, and, and in some ways, like, no, I'm not talking about your DiGiuseppe, Dakota, Joshua here. It's, like, slightly higher up. The guys who are slightly higher paid, like, no one can take training camp for granted because the club's going to need to, to shed, you know, a, a million and a bit in salary if Pearson's not on LTI. Um, and, and Pearson himself may end up being that guy. I, I mean, frankly, like, when you draw out the lines – and think about what this team wants to do and how they want to be faster and on and on, uh, how they need penalty killers. I, I mean, he would seem like one of the key candidates, um, you know, to, to end up on waivers before the, you know, cut down deadline. Um, it's kind of pointless in my experience trying to predict the Canucks opening day roster because injuries always happen in the preseason yep. like unexpected stuff happens but uh, and that's actually the other thing about the the do they have to make another move it's like they have so much time and and no one gets through the preseason unscathed yeah but i i do want to ask this general question um how hesitant would they be to put Hoglander on waivers I mean, I think very, I I don't think you'd have to, right. I mean, that's the thing. Like even in a worst case scenario, you end up doing a Oleo Levy style, um, Riley Stillman style, you know, right before the cut down deadline trade. 
Yeah. Um, Hoaglander would still have cachet, especially at 1.1, especially given the fact that he was like really good in the NHL at the ages of 19 and 20. Um, you know, it's pretty rare to do that. Like, think about all the times that we talk about Canucks prospects, like Danila Klimovich or whatever, and it's like, well, he's too young for the AHL, right? And it's like, Niels Hoaglander was like a 40-point guy, a 40-point pace guy in the NHL at the age of 19, right? I mean, that matters. That matters. So does the work rate, right? So does the fact that this guy's, you know, um, a bat out of hell, in terms of his battle level along the wall. So is the fact that he was the best player by a lot on the ice in the uh, HL Calder Cup playoffs last summer, last spring, right? I mean, that doesn't escape the notice of Pro Scouts. So uh, I, I would say very, very low would be how I'd handicap the chances of Hoaglander ending up on waivers because he'd have cachet if it came to that. I don't think it's going to come to that. Um, this is, you know, you, you want to play north-south hockey? Like, if you want to play north-south hockey, this is your guy. It's, it's hard to come up with a sort of Canucks player who better suits the uh, stated way that Rick Tockett says he wants to play with wall guys and north-south hockey and on and on um, than Neil Soglander, even though obviously there's still some gaps, some room for growth in his game particularly in terms of like, you know, cutting off the top defensively and in-zone defensive awareness and puck management. Um, you know, if he can take those steps and those feel like teachable things relative to some of the other flaws a player could have, um, you know, that, I mean, I, I just think he's going to be completely fine. Uh, Pod Colson. Mm. Yeah. So he, unlike Hoaglander, he does not require waivers. So he could be sent down without the Canucks risking losing him. Uh, Mike and I, well, have yeah. Talked, yeah, we, we, he, he just, he, to me, like last season, we talked to Rick talking about this and he just wants to see a little more. I think he used the word like swagger in his game or just like take some chances out there. He seems so conservative and almost playing, scared to make a mistake which I get when you're a young player because when you make a mistake sometimes like Nils Hoglander is like yeah don't make mistakes that that'll get you in trouble right but like (laughs) there has to be some sort of happy medium that can be found where Pod Colson actually shows that he's willing to take on the game as opposed to just try and survive it yeah and and with Pod Colson in particular clearly a thinker right um which is good and bad Uh, uh you know this is also a guy, and I've said this a million times, and I'm going to keep saying it. This is also a guy whose, you know, skill set, in my view anyway, is is like guaranteed to take a while, as opposed to like a more a guy with a more offensive bent. You know, like I've never seen Pod Colson as a guy, and, and I know he's got that like laser wrist shot, and he's smart in terms of being a heads up player, so he can make some great passes. And I think it confuses people into thinking that this is a guy with like really high end skill. And I don't think he is. I think he's a guy who, when he fully arrives and is at the peak of his powers in the NHL is going to have a a little bit more of a subtle impact and a rare impact given his sort of size profile. You know, it's more of a two way thing. And, you know, you can't tell me uh, about an elite two way winger in the NHL who's under the age of 25. Like they just don't, they don't exist. Like, it's really rare to have an elite two-way winger. And when they sort of get there, you know, they're, they're like Ilya Mikheyev pre-injury was an elite two-way winger, right? And he didn't even play in the NHL till he was 24. And it was his second season that he really took off. Zach Hyman took forever, but 
but eventually, you know, in his mid twenties, it was like, wow, what a driver. Um, you know, Mark Stone was a little bit different, but again, longer development path wasn't, wasn't really who he is today until he was, you know, 23, 24, right? Like these guys, when they have these profiles, when they're going to have this skill set, or, or when they could have this skill set, it takes some time. It's the scoring forwards in the NHL who we sort of see come in and just fill the net or destroy it and look super dynamic, and, and that sort of adjusts how we talk about aging curves and, and where a guy's at. I do think Pod Colson's a guy who's going to take some time. Now, all that said, it's not like he hasn't been put in a position to think. Right, like this is one of the issues that you can run into, I think, when you're a player who profiles like him, where teams look at him and say, "Well, he can be a fourth liner." He, you know, he, sure, he may not be in our top six tonight, but he can be an energy guy. Well, the thing about being an energy guy is your your role shifts game to game, right? You're not necessarily going to have like a stable uh, ice time, um, a level of ice time every day. And you're a guy that people remove from the lineup because that's how people think about fourth liners. Like what I'd love to see this organization do for pod Colson is, you know, and honestly, I mean, two years too late, but better late than never is like carve out two regular line mates or at least one regular line mate who he always plays with and give them 10 minutes of ice time a night and, and do it for like three months, do it for three months. He's never scratched. Right. He, he it's it's just like no matter what happens, we're going to find out what this guy is. And it's it's not unlike Bo Horvat, you know, gets saddled with Derek Dorsett in that first season. Right. And, and it didn't matter if he was good or bad. They were going to get 10 minutes. And I, I mean, that granted, that was Willie D just not thinking about who he was putting out. But nonetheless, <laughs> and you've all signed up for hockey. So you're all going to get equal <laughs> ice time. <laughs> but it but it mattered, right? Like it mattered. And you saw Bo Horvat in the second half of the year start to like produce. Mm-hmm. And then he had a great playoffs. And then, you know, I don't think we have any question that he managed to maximize who he was. And you contrast that with like the Jared McCann development path in Vancouver, which was like completely haphazard all over the place. One day he's on the second line. One day he's out of the lineup. Um, you know, it's not really communicated clearly to him. And you know, he, he also managed to figure it out, but it took him a lot longer and it, you know, took him moving multiple teams before he became the guy he is today. You know, you don't want that route for Pod Colson. You want the Bo Horvat route. And I do think that requires the team to be thoughtful and disciplined about his role in deployment. And he's really a guy like even more so than Niels Hoaglander, I'd say. Um, because with Niels Hoaglander, it seems like really there was just one coach who didn't have a lot of, like, Boudreaux clearly just didn't like his game that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that happens sometimes. But with Pod Colson, it's like across multiple coaches, the thing we haven't seen is just some consistency in terms of his deployment. We also haven't seen it from him, but I do think he's been put in a really tough spot to play the sort of free game that you're, well, that the organization wants from him and that you're looking for from him. Yeah, and the and the tough thing too is like there's such a focus on winning for this team now too. They don't really want to have a guy out there that's you know that you just attach someone to him and hope that he figures it out, right? Like doesn't isn't that isn't that a tough way well, to but, think sometimes? I mean, but if you're talking about a fourth line, you know, I mean <laughs> like it's not going to hurt your efforts to win to commit to being like, okay, Teddy Bluger and Vasily Colson, you are always our fourth line center and wing. You know, we'll rotate another guy in based on performance, based on what we need in terms of penalty killing, or maybe we have a top six injury, so it's going to be Sheldon Dries 
because we need someone on PP2, right? Like you rotate, the, the third guy can rotate in, you, maybe you find chemistry, like as a versus Jack Stanika or something like that. You know, like that doesn't hurt you. You know, that, that I don't think that's inconsistent with winning anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it is, then you've learned a lot about Pod Colson. Like if it is inconsistent with winning, then he might just be a guy, you know, and, and then you, you need to know that. So I, I just don't think there's a tension necessarily between developing a player like Pod Colson the right way and the act of winning. Like if you're going to win, if you're going to make the playoffs, if you're going to make noise in the playoffs, then what you're certainly what you're certainly going to need is like several players who are materially different in terms of their level of contribution or level of play in, in March. Yeah. Then then they looked last March. I, I just Colson's really like want your best bet for that. I just really want Pod Colson to succeed too, because he seems like a hard worker and he seems like the yep. type of guy if he can figure it out and find his level that he can reach, like the Canucks need guys like that. Like to me, he's like, he's like, you know, even if he doesn't become an elite two-way player, Tanner Pearson, Chris Higgins, those types of guys who are those reliable, hard-nosed, two-way wingers that can win battles along the boards, are they going to score 30, 40 goals? No, but they're going to be valuable in all situations out there. The Canucks need more of those guys. They need to develop guys like Pod Colson. And it would be yep. disappointing to me, um, really disappointing to me, if they can't find a way to make the timing sync up so that he contributes for them. Well, and they need size in the lineup short-term too, right? I mean, they are way, way, way smaller up front than the Flames, the Golden Knights, the Kings, and the... Uh, Oilers like they are way smaller up front there's there's just way less beef for the Canucks up front and then you get back into the old thing that we've seen too often from this team where it's like your forwards aren't defensively aware enough and aren't sort of tough enough and your defense isn't fast enough and you're kind of stuck in the mud and have to choose between playing offensive hockey and playing defensive hockey and you kind of can't do both that's that's still the fear I have with this roster um, Pod Colson being like leveling up this season uh, or leveling up by the spring could at least help address that to some extent. Drancer, thanks for doing this today, bud. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. Thanks, boys. Enjoy draft season, Mike. I'm very Season's excited. Uh, a week <laughs> today, we are having our fantasy football draft. I, you know what I respect about our league the most is that we left the draft until the very last moment. We're doing it the, the day before the start of the regular season. I have a, I have a deep respect for that. So I'm looking forward I'm to next Wednesday. So, so excited. Cheers, boys. Bye. See you, bud. Uh, Thomas Trance from the Athletic Vancouver and Canucks Talk here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Coming up, it's what we learn time. How many leagues are you in? Two. Because oh, you left the Lions game. For the uh, different draft. Okay. Yeah, that was for my ESPN league. Every night it's a draft. Every night is draft night at the Halford household. <laughs> it's just good times and good vibes. I do. See, here's the thing that you might not know. So do, do you play uh, fantasy football? I play fantasy baseball. Like the okay. draft is the biggest part of the season. Draft is the biggest it? part of the season. So everyone, the one yeah. that I went to on Saturday, we've actually taken it offline, and we do it live. We have a big board, and you have to announce your pick, and you, you put play this, a little jingle when you go. Up yeah, there. I play mm. the ESPN jingle on my phone, but as I get more and more inebriated, it 
gets less and less regular. But anyway, and you have to put the sticker up on the board. It took five and a half hours to do the draft. Yeah, the end of the draft, you're like, Louis Pasaglia. Yeah, I actually was like, can we just stop? <laughs> I'm tired. I'm tired. There's, we're out of tequila. And I was yelling. But it was a fun night. Anyway. Get your uh, what, what we learns in. Time. We need more what we learns into the Dunbar Lumber text line. 650-650 is the number. We'll read them on the other side of the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The People's Show, where you're part of the show. Download the podcast and stay up to date on Vancouver sports all summer long. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. 832. On a Wednesday. My dad told me yesterday he likes the flute part. It is good, the flute part. I didn't know your dad listened to the show. Oh, yeah. That's good. It's three hours later there. He has no excuse to not is listen to the show. Is he proud of you? Is he? Kind of. In, in some ways, yes. <laughs> What's the opposite of pride? Not quite shame. <laughs> uh, I'm on with you guys. I'm on the radio, which is good, but I'm on with Alfred and Brian. Right, yeah. My mom listens to the show religiously. Although she's on, vaca- she's on vacation right now, so she's not listening to it. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, your folks don't listen to the show. I, I told them I'm a doctor. Right. <laughs> Good for you. I'm glad. How you was work today? I was like lots of surgeries and stuff. I like lots of doctoring and, and uh, yeah. I'm glad you gave up doctor. that radio thing, Jason, and started focusing on a real career. Halford uh, and Breath of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour three of this program is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. Uh, we all have what we learned except for A-Dog, I think. I have a tiny one. Mm. I don't... I'll clip it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm ruined. Oh now everybody knows. I'll never, I'll never recover from this. Welcome to the Tiny Hands Club, pal. It stinks. All right. We're going to save your tiny one for later. Instant regret as soon as I said that. Okay. Or we might not do it at all at this point. We might just leave on a high. Uh, I want to start with Laddie because Laddie has audio that I know about. And I know what it's about, but I haven't heard it yet. I said, don't play it. I want to hear it for the first time on the air so it's fresh. So can you set it? This this is Bryce Harper getting back at a sports talk radio caller. Well, let me explain it. Okay. I have to collect myself a little bit after that, that Andy moment. But, yeah. <laughs> um, a little tiny Andy over there. <laughs> Bryce Harper, postgame, I heard this clip. So it's two, par- two parts of audio I'm going to play for you. Okay. I heard this clip, and I thought, oh. This is amazing fodder for what we learned. So okay. t- take a listen to Bryce Harper post game. Okay. I was driving in today, and you know I'm listening to WIP like I do a lot, um, the two o'clock hour. And uh, a guy named Chuck called in, and he calls in a lot. He's hilarious. Uh, but I said, uh, you know, he was talking about our team and talking about me and stuff. And um, I walked in the training room. I was like, I'm gonna go deep tonight for Chuck. <laughs> uh, that guy had me fired up, man. Um, but, you know, it, it's just funny. I mean, this team as a whole, we, you know, come in here, play with the Phillies across our chest. We're all family. We're all pulling. And he goes on like that. But uh, 
I thought it was great because I thought, oh, maybe he got pissed off at Bryce Harper. He wasn't happy with the way he was playing. Fired him up. It's a, it's every Canucks fan's dream, right? They're on the radio. Sure, you're venting. talking about Chuck from WIP yeah. in Philly, yeah. And then the player goes out and and you know one ups you by scoring a goal, or in Bryce Harper's case, hitting a home run. But then that I found the actual call oh. from Chuck. Take a listen. Bryce Harper, listen, man. If I don't do anything before I die, I'm going to shake that man's hand one day. You hear me? He's one of the best. He's well, the best Chuck, he could be listening right now as we know his routine is to listen to the Marks and Reese show on his way he, into the park. If he's listening, listen, man. Listen. Bryce, get your ass down, kicks in peace, whenever you get a chance, man. And come meet me and come meet the people that love you because you are the man. And we go where Bryce Harper go, okay? I did not expect it to go that way. Right? Did so it was not like a positive it that call. Way. It's so disappointing. Because I was going to say, if we can fire up the Canucks with yeah. callers, I'd be willing to do it. But then I was like, ah, I know our audience. Yeah. But you got to be positive. Yeah. Them. That's what we're I doing wrong here. I don't here. think anyone in our, of our listening audience is capable of doing that. They'd either be too negative inherently, or they'd get on the air and they'd just biff it. Plus, all the Canucks players <laughs> hate listening to our show. So that will never happen. I heard a couple of them listened. Yeah, because they're, they're in their 20s. Yeah, right. <laughs> Too many Simpsons radio. References. Radio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I heard, I had, I had been passed along a note anecdotally that there are a couple of the players listened to the show and their response was, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> like, it's not, it was like, it's like inoffensive. Like, we don't do anything too serious and to like pillage a guy publicly, no, right? You know, no, no, no. like, ah, it's fine. Yeah, but like, do you listen to it often? They're like, oh God, no. So, uh, give, us a, give us some give us some on that. Find, you want to go? Or you want me to yeah, go? Yeah, I'll go. Okay. I, I learned that uh, iMac has a Q and A with Rick Tockett up on Sportsnet.ca, and I recommend you go read it. Um, the one part that <laughs> and kind of relates to our show today um, is about the off-season workouts of the players. And iMac asked him a question. He said, you said at the start, uh, you said at the end of last season that you wanted players to return to Vancouver by mid-August and start skating together. That didn't really happen. Obviously, it works against you that the Canucks do not have a practice facility, but are you disappointed there weren't more guys in town? Tockett says, it's a great question because it's give and take, right? We don't have a practice facility and Rogers Arena was under construction. Of course, with the new scoreboard going in, hopefully. And then down. And then down. Uh, talk, it continues. There's a lot of things that we just don't have, so I can't really blame the players. I'm going to read that again. Yeah. There's a lot of things that we just don't have, so I can't really blame the players. But saying that, I think there's like seven guys in skating now, and next week I think we're going to have 25 guys. I want to give kudos to the players because I know the leadership really banded together to get guys to come back. And next week after Labor Day, I think we're going to have at least 20 to 25 guys skating, and that's a big win for me. Um, He goes on and says, I can't be disappointed players were not here in mid-August because they probably had a facility or something where they were. Yeah, Bally has a great practice facility, apparently. Talking continues. We're working on that as an organization. We want players to stay and train under our umbrella, under our roof. The best teams do that. They're being undermined. We now, I, I think we probably will and should spend more time on the topic of the Canucks practice facility. Mm-hmm. Why because, don't they have one? Well, they haven't. They they've tried to get one. I mean, I I think it's complicated with. He's making um, the sign with his fingers. That's the money yeah, sign. It's, it's money. I mean, I think they had one 
they had a deal which fell apart for the Plaza of Nations redevelopment. Um, you know, land in Vancouver. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed. It's a little expensive. It's a little expensive, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not like down south where you're like, oh yeah, there's this plot of land. It's like fifty bucks an acre. Like buy we'll a practice facility. Yeah, lots right? of lots of available acreage in Cranberry, Pennsylvania. So you have to build a practice. Pittsburgh's you have to build a practice facility um, close to where the majority of your players live, like, or Cran- that, like Cranberry. Yeah, it's usually in the suburbs in the states, right? Um, so it's it's a it's it's I don't even know where most of the, all I know is J T Miller lives in West Van and no one else does, right? right? I imagine some of them live downtown, some live on the west side. I I have no idea though. Mm-hmm. So, but but regardless, this is their head coach Rick Tockett saying like, we need a practice facility because, and he and he's completely right. He's like, hey, it's give and take. You want the players to come in and start skating in August? Where are they going to skate? Like they're skating out at UBC right now. Mm-hmm. UBC was like I, I've played on that David Bauer rink my whole life. It's that old. Yeah. You know, the the facilities out of UBC are okay for UBC. Not for professional hockey, though. It's an old, old rink mm-hmm. that they're skating on. They should be skating in a new practice facility with all the amenities. If they want to be considered uh, a team in the NHL that is doing everything they can to create a winner, and you're asking players to come into town in mid, mid-August and work out and skate in Vancouver – you have to do better than Father David Bauer Arena at UBC. And Laddie would like to weigh in. Yeah, don't try to poo-poo this either. I've talked to players, and this matters a lot to them. No one's like poo-pooing. This is a big deal to the players. So you don't think they think about this when they're a free agent coming to sign a different place? It definitely matters. I just have one question to ask you about this, and it's the most important one. How did you feel about Rick Tockett giving iMac a, that's a great question? Jealous. Yeah, that's fair. Sometimes I'm starting to wonder if he... He does that to everyone. Does it not feel a little less sincere than before? It yeah. sure does. Mook out that one. <laughs> uh, you want to do your tiny one now? <laughs> tiny one, yeah. Uh, Netflix is 26 years old today, which is what I learned. What? And the main thing that I learned is that it was 26 years old. I didn't realize it's been around for that long. Yeah, because they used to deliver DVDs. Yeah, it's, it's a really, really old, almost as old as Bruff Company. Mm-hmm. That pivot was... Like they, they will have in the Harvard Business School, they will have conversations about the pivot that Netflix made. Yeah. Well, I want to say, I remember reading something the Netflix owner or creator or whatever has a framed thing in his office of the letter that Blockbuster wrote to them saying, no, we're not going to buy your company. You don't stand a chance. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but that's more or less what it said is Blockbuster was like, no way. We're not buying you. We're the kings. We're never going anywhere. You can go take your company elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And then within the span of two years, Blockbuster was pretty much toast. And obviously, I mean, I, I knew about the pivot, but I had no idea it was 26. Yeah, I, I didn't either. I'm yeah. looking at the old logos. Well, there, there's Netflix. references in like an early uh, The Office episode where they talk about getting DVDs from Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Like way before. Yeah, I used the to streaming do d- DVD delivery. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Okay, I never right. signed up for that. Actually, I didn't either. No, oh, I mean, oh. Blockbuster was there. <laughs> you didn't really. You're right. Like Blockbuster yeah. was still the king at that point. So. Netflix was still very much the I think they just industry. they just cut off their DVD service like a year ago. Yeah, like it was pretty recent. I they think they kept it just like this is just kind of fun. We're the a rich boomers. company. Yeah. All right. Give us some Mookie on. And finally me. Uh, I have learned that this year's uh Champions Hockey League, which is basically like the uh Champions League for um the European hockey teams, the club teams. Mhm. 
Going to have some pretty interesting new rules. On ice rules. I do wonder if we will eventually see these in the NHL. So, there's three in particular. One, um, if you're shorthanded and you get scored on, doesn't matter if it's a major or minor penalty now, all penalties you have to kill all two minutes if you get scored on. So, the penalty doesn't end if you get scored on. Okay. You can get scored on multiple times on a uh, minor penalty. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um. A minor penalty will still be served if a goal is scored while the delayed penalty is pending. So you know how sometimes that wipes it out? Mm-hmm. Here's the big one. If a shorthanded team scores, that ends the pe- the penalty. So it's the power kill, right? So what are you trying to incentivize through all this? That's always the big question with rule changes. I think it's just encouraging more um, aggressive attacks on goal. And uh, allowing more scoring opportunities. Too, Are you trying to make old. penalties more punitive too, so that maybe the clutching and the grabbing goes away? Yes, and you're also trying to make um, aggressive penalty killing yeah, yeah. more um, incentivized mm-hmm. right. with the power kill. I like the power kill. I don't That's think a cool stat power I, kill. Do you think that would work? What? Do you think Do you think teams would take uh, a different approach to penalty killing if they scored a goal? They do like, already. I don't know. I, think. I don't know. In the last couple of years, maybe. The power curl you talked about is a thing, yeah. and that's not even a rule yet. So I, I mean, think put it this way. Too. If you had the opportunity to, one, score a goal, which is mm-hmm. a big deal, but two, also kill a penalty in its entirety. But half the time when you Would got you not it, have to at least consider it? Sure. Yeah, it might, maybe. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know how neat. coaches, I, I don't know how coaches would, would coach that. But a lot of the times, if you get a scoring chance on, on the PK, like a lot of the times it's a breakaway. Yeah. But- would you be incentivized to maybe, like, let's say you've got a two-on-two. A lot of the times, if you manage to get a two-on-two on the PK, you're, like, dumping in and get a change. Sure. Because that is the the number one thing, stay fresh, right? Right, like, right, 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 right. Be, be, don't be tired out Play there. safe. And sometimes, like, well, a coach will get really mad if you're already tired because you've been killing penalties, and then you take an opportunity to score – and you don't score, and then they counterattack, and you're like, wait, how, I'm going to try and get to the bench now, right? Mm-hmm. Because then the other team's going five on three the other way. Um, I, I don't know. I, I was just more intrigued by it. Yeah. I'm no, like, you know, you know when Marge holds up the potato? She's like, I think they're neat. Like, that's me. I'm like, I think this is neat. That's I kind of cool. don't like the, the rule of you can score multiple times on a minor penalty because, I, frankly, <laughs> but the only reason is, is it like I don't like a lot of special teams hockey. Like it, I, I don't love hockey. I, know, I don't I love fine. hockey where you've got like half the game's special teams. The gallows humor of last year, if you could score on multiple power plays with the Canucks, would have been hilarious. When their oh when God, their penalty yeah. kill was around sixty percent, could you imagine? It's like, well, at least the power play's over. Nope. Or is it <laughs> power <Damn>. kill? <laughs> yeah, he's like, damn, we got to get out of here We're again. Power killing. <laughs> Anyway, that that's in effect for the 2023 2024 double IHF. I almost called it the IHF. Uh Text message in basket. Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650. A lot of people trying to work out the Canucks practice facility. Oh, yeah? Good. In the Dunbar Lumber text line. If there's one thing our listenership can do, it's negotiate high leverage real estate plays in the lower mainland. See, the thing is, I imagine what the Canucks will want out of this will be like, they'll go to a developer and they'll say, uh, we get a free practice facility. (laughs) Like, I'm not even joking or like a very cheap practice facility. And that's part of your development. 
And the reason why you'd give that to us is that's marketability for your development. Mm-hmm. I'm now trying to, and that might be go- a tough sell, right? People well, it, would be like, uh, you're a popular developer around town. It's an attraction. <laughs> these, these practice yeah. facilities though, you look at Vegas yeah. selling out their facility for practice. You don't think the Canucks would do the same thing if they had a similar setup? Yeah. I, I wonder if they could get something done at UBC. Um, I, I don't know. Proximity and driving ability is a big key for all this, though, right? Somebody because... mentioned the Coliseum, but they got a lot of concerts there and stuff and events, right? So I don't know if that would work. Super Dogs. That's not Super really dogs? close to where, where a lot of the, gonna go. That's not really close to where a lot of the players live either. Yeah, like it'll be more West Side. There's parts of the West Side that really need revamping, like it's... going. Uh, I don't know what you would call it. What would you call it? Like Point, not Point Grey area. Um, like when you're driving out towards UBC, right to right before you get to the golf course, like that place is dead. Yeah. That's Point Grey. Let's just call yeah, it Point, point Grey. Gray. For the purposes of this conversation. Where the Safeway used to be on 10th. Yeah, we're getting that, really specific. Yeah, now. put it there. Yeah. Where the Safeway used to be on 10th. Because um, I keep bringing up Cranberry, one, because I like saying Cranberry, but also because uh, Rutherford and Alvin came from the Pittsburgh organization. For those that are unaware, Pittsburgh, the Penguins have this full-fledged standalone facility, which is theirs, and it's in Cranberry. It's like I think it's a UPMC they, they partnered with the local university medical center. Yeah. So it's got everything there. Right? So a lot of people not understanding the assignment here. Here's a text. Uh, there are lots of decent rinks for practice. Langley and Abbotsford. You didn't get just any for of two. the assignments. Plus Zero. the rink by Nat Bailey. The rink by Nat Bailey. What, the community center? Hillsview? Hill, yeah, yeah. Hillcrest. Hillcrest? Hillcrest. That's Where the rink is used like 25 hours a day? <laughs> what about at Nat Bailey? I think I preface this by saying I don't think our listenership is up to the task. <laughs> so the fact that we're now taking their submissions and reading them aloud is probably not the best. But God bless you guys for trying. Uh, okay, we got to talk about this one. Let's print out these some submissions. We did already. If we did. Okay, yeah. Cole and Calgary, what we learned. Oh, man. Okay. A Fine. woman snuck a gun into a White Sox mm. game. By hiding it in her fat rolls. Yeah. The gun went off um, during the game accidentally. And then says leading to the cancellation of a Vanilla Ice concert. I did not know that last part. Yep. I'm assuming that's true. It is. Vanilla Ice is caught up in the middle of all this? Yeah. So so I don't know if everyone's been following this, but I guess. um, So I had the White Sox game a couple of days ago. They're like. Two people have been shot. Not life-threatening, but they've been shot. And then everyone's like, well, did it happen inside the stadium? And people are like, we don't know. It was the south side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of gunshots. So some people speculated that you know someone shot a gun in the air and then the bullet landed. Or right. so, some, you know, and, then, and then in the most USA report ever, USA. it was like the gunshots came in, came from inside the stadium. The person who was shot was the person that brought the gun in, and she brought it in in her fat rolls. The reporter, and I got to stress, an actual reporter went out and got this story. (laughs) Peggy Kaczynski from ESPN 1000 in Chicago. This is it. Uh, The shooting at Guaranteed Rate Field during a White Sox game was indeed an accidental discharge by one of the women, quote-unquote, grazed by the bullet. She reportedly snuck the gun in past metal detectors, hiding it in the folds of her belly fat. I am reading this verbatim. I didn't didn't make any of that up. Uh, And then today, the attorney who is representing the said woman uh, said that she denies 
the report that she brought the gun into the stadium and accidentally discharged it. No word about the belly fat part. Well, Can yeah, you- she's probably denying it just for legal reasons too. And also, yeah. it's super embarrassing. I, I forgot it was uh, in there. We got to we got to move on here, Marty. Sorry, sorry, but people are getting upset. We're not reading their what we learned. Okay, yeah, Marty the Red. What yeah. we learned. All you need for a practice facility is a ping pong table. How hard can it be? You don't even use the ping pong table anymore, according to Matt Stafford. Everyone's just Matt on Stafford. Or Matt Stafford's wife, I guess. Uh, D- app. Doug and Delta, what we learned. The Seattle Seahawks have 12 rookies on their opening 53-man roster. Yeah, there's a lot of rookies in the NFL. Like, they get drafted and then... Then they play. Then they play. Right someone away. texted the expectations in, are higher. Someone texted in earlier that they did the math, and the 53-man roster combined with a 16-man practice roster... Is a nice number. <laughs> I saw the Jacksonville coach cut his own son, Doug Peterson. Yeah, ah, from the hard. team, not yeah. not like in a knife fight. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't. He cut the... you. <laughs> he cut him from. The they family. might have had disagreements in the past that I don't. Know with about. W- with all respect to that texture that texted in the, the number of rookies on the Seahawks, I don't know if that's an unusually high number. I don't know either for the Seahawks. I have no idea. We're not going ra- to. Uh... Yeah, I didn't mean to be dismissive of that. The text inbox is in a very sensitive mood this morning. It sure is sensitive mood. Yeah, it really is. And I don't I don't really understand why. Trey the Gulf Island ferry worker. What we learned, I learned John Schneider doesn't understand you have to tie the game before you can worry about Kirk at the plate in the eleventh inning. Yeah, I don't he he galaxy brained that response yesterday. We talked about it off the top, right? He hasn't been managing that way. I I, they should have gone with Mattingly when I said they should have. I'll just throw it out there. I had it I had it right. My hot take was right. And I screwed it up. Did I really get the take wrong, or did the Blue Jays get it wrong? Colin and Tawasson, what we learned, we are a basketball country. After being a tennis country, a soccer country, a hammer throw country, and a decathlon country, we're thankful for national team sports to make us forget about our Vancouver sports woes. Easily the best, most positive story that we've had on our show in the last little while was Canada qualifying for the Soccer World Cup. Yep. Like, Easily. We're like, thank God we can be enthusiastic. We can be fans about this. And then John Herbin like left the team and it turned, you know, or it turned negative before that. Yeah. So now all our um, house of positivity is wrapped up in Canada's basketball team at the FIBA World Cup. And I worry that it's too much. I feel and, like I might be too emotionally invested. And in a year, egos will um, come to the forefront and tear the program apart. And then it's just back to hammer throw. <laughs> we are a hammer throw nation after all. <laughs> all right, we got to get out of here for today, but we will be back tomorrow. Signing off, I have been Mike Halford. He's been Jason Bruff. He's been A-Dog. He has been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford, you're the only one. Save us. Yeah, come on. Do it. Coming right back where we started from. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That one. Yeah, yeah. Singing louder. I can't. I'm not a good singer. (laughs) Yeah.